0: You're listening to HR Mavericks, a weekly podcast featuring leading small business HR professionals who share their experiences and insights to help you know how to turn your HR processes and employee experience into a strategic business advantage. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the next episode of HR Mavericks. I'm Garrett Justice, and today I'm joined by a very special guest. We have with us Russ Laraway, who is the Chief People Officer at Goodwater Capital. Russ, how are you doing today?
1: Hey, what's up, Gary? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for having me on the show.
0: We are super excited to have you on the show. I know part of why you're on the show today is to announce you know, the launch of a new book, which is called When They Win, You Win, right there. It's beautiful. And I know um, it's it's had a lot of awesome reception just in the last week since launching on Amazon, right?
1: Yeah, it's crazy. We were, um, we were number one new release in at least four categories. Um, for a period of time, we held the number one new release in the management category and for the audio book. And, um, we also, um, held the number be, usually between four or five and six spots for the hardcover. So we had a, we had a really, really solid first week that, um, that was an awful lot of fun. Yeah.
0: Amazing. And um, like Russ and I were talking about before, I in. Am- anxiously awaiting my copy that's coming soon. So I'm excited to dive into it. So Russ, we're super excited to have you on the show. I know you bring just with you a wealth of experience when it comes to especially scaling businesses from an HR or people function. I know, you know, in the past you, you know, you spent four years at Qualtrics as a chief people officer there. You know, you're one of the co-founders of Radical Candor LLC, which you know, Kim Scott's best-selling book, right? Was came from that org. I you know you spent time at Google, Twitter, you know, background in the Marines. Um, so we're super excited to have you on the show. Before we really dive in and, and really understand the, the core pieces from this book, tell our listeners just a little bit more about you personally and also fill in any of the career gaps that I missed. And then um tell us just a little bit more about you know the the reason why you wanted to write this book? Yeah, I think
1: you covered my career pretty well. I, I think maybe one thing worth mentioning is my very first HR job was actually at Qualtrics, where I was the chief people mm-hmm. officer. And um, you know, before that, I'd been in go-to-market roles. Even with Kim at Radical Candor, my job was the chief operating officer. We were tiny, so it's a little bit of a grandiose title, but um, but it was really a go-to-market function, marketing, sales. Uh, things like that and actually I fulfilled the most of our workshops um you know Google I was in three different go to market roles there you know I had a uh, team as large as 700 people I had a, I had direct quota responsibility for a business uh, that was about 750 million bucks at Twitter I founded our SMB advertising channel you know and that was that ended up being hundreds of millions of bucks and uh, or, and 100 people globally so yeah I think that you know and I think that's perhaps interesting to a lot of listeners who would be hr practitioners um, to find out that my first job was actually be a chief people officer and and i think the the learning from that is that i think there's an increasing desire for hr people to be more operational um, more a little stay a little closer to the business and, and in fact jared smith uh, one of the two, one of the three co-founders of Qualtrics, Scott Smith, Ryan Smith, Jared Smith. Jared Smith and I are friends. We both reported to Kim Scott back at Google in 2005. That's how we know each other. And actually, he said he asked me if I would be open to running the HR stuff there because he wanted it run more like an accountable operation and not the way he'd seen. Mm-hmm. HR run in the past. So, so anyway, that's, that's sort of how I got in there. And then I just loved it. You know, I I love, I love the space. I think it's still pretty wide open. I think there's a lot of room for improvement, frankly, in the space um, across, you know, all sizes of companies. And so, yeah, um, Marines probably the most important thing to say there. Is, uh, my last job there, I was a company commander, which is 175 combat Marines, um, loved, loved, loved my time in the Marine Corps. And, um, I think I owe a fair, you know, whatever success I've had, I owe a fair amount of it to uh, having learned how to be an officer in the Marines. I
0: love it. That's so awesome. And, um, you know, I think that is really interesting context and background, uh, especially for a lot of our listeners out there that um, I, I think the point you made is absolutely right that today, you know, HR has to be so connected to the outcomes of the business, right? And that's that's what it takes to grow a healthy business that's going to last today, right? So yeah. I love that you shared that. Um, so I want to jump in and talk a little bit more about, why this book, and then we'll get into some of the yeah. insights. And so kind of really start off here. I mean, you your background and expertise really is, you know, in how to manage people well. And in fact, I'll, I'll add to uh, Russ, I mentioned this before we jumped on, but for many of our listeners out there, um, you shared a talk at a CEO summit from first round. And there was a first round review article written a couple of years ago about three powerful conversations managers must have to develop their people. So Russ, I got to tell you too, that has been one of, and for all the listeners out there, that has been one of the most impactful articles that I have read in the last year. I've shared it with hundreds of people and i created my own little like framework from it to help in these career conversations with people who I've managed in the past. So I love the insights and the, how tangible you made that. Um, and so I'm super excited to dive into this book today, too. I just want to thank you for those resources, because I know if the book's anything like it, man, it's going to be great stuff.
1: Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. So before I kind of get into why I wrote this book, um, first first of all, that's I think that's probably four years old by now, that um, that particular article, four, maybe even five and it's gotten a fair amount. It's gotten shared, shared around quite a bit. And here's the good news. Two things for you. One is part four of this book covers that exact um, model, the career conversations model that I came up with. It's featured in Radical Candor. It's got about six pages in Radical Candor. Excuse me. Then there's um, you know then there's the first round stuff that you saw. And then I went ahead and blew it out with 100 pages in here. Awesome. So people can learn in a lot of detail how to do it. Second is actually on my website, Um, www.whentheywinun.com slash tools. I actually created a CODA-based tool to help people um, keep track of kind of the career conversations process. So really appreciate that. It makes it just, it really makes me smile to hear that you've been getting a ton of value out of that because I think that's, at the end of the day, probably why I do most of this stuff. And so why this book? Um, I think that people deserve to be led well. And I don't like the word deserve. I, I, don't, I don't throw that word around a lot. So, But I think people deserve to be led well. And I defend this pretty, pretty heavily in the book, but I think the overwhelming evidence is that actually they're not being led well. Managers are failing and no one's helping, which I think is a little bit of counterintuitive, could be counterintuitive for folks because there's more and more content every day aimed at helping managers to be better. And yet somehow they're at best stagnant.
0: Yeah, and I, you know, I can kind of
1: prove that. And, I, yeah.
0: and that's really, that's really what the point I wanted to make too. Sorry to, to, to jump in here is, you know, it seems like if there's any books that were written about more often than others, it might be like there's this endless supply of like helping people become better managers. It's been something that, you know, businesses and consultants and everyone's tried to figure out for years. And so really, you know, tell us a little bit more about, you know why did you feel like there was this need for this book, and and what's been missing from those other resources, you know, out there?
1: Yeah. So, so I think I have this fantasy, if you'll indulge me. Um, yeah. And the fantasy goes: I, I get to ask all these people that are putting out this manager content, authors, um, podcast hosts like Garrett uh, and many others. I get to ask them: How do you individually, one-on-one, how do you think your stuff? helps the average manager be better. And the fantasy, um, it's a G-rated fantasy, don't worry, But the fantasy ends up going toward this idea of a buffet-style lunch line. Hmm. And what I imagine is each author, each podcast host, each writer believes that um, a manager goes through the, the buffet-style lunch line at a leisurely pace, And they pull a little off of, you know, the Kim section, they pull a little off the Liz section, a little off the Simon section, you know, and, and off they go, they're tray full of, you know, they've got a nutritious meal there available to help them. For all of their uh, leadership problems in the future, right? The problem I think is that actually for the average manager, it doesn't feel at all like a leisurely le- leisurely trip through a buffet lunch line. It feels like you're hogtied in the center of a middle school cafeteria, while there's a multi-thousand-person food fight transpiring, right? Like right. you know, broccoli bouncing off your head and mashed potatoes sliding. It's just it's too much stuff. It doesn't hang together, and it it becomes unaddressable and. And people, the content people opt into, often they opt into based on a couple of biases. One is, does the content fit their pre-existing worldview? And therefore, they kind of opt in. And, so, and often, most nefarious is are they already good at that thing? Uh, and they'll kind of opt into the thing they're already good at. So I decided that the world absolutely didn't need another person's opinion about what it takes to be a great manager. Instead, we have to learn to lead in a way that measurably and predictably leads to more engaged employees and better business results. And ultimately, that's the book that I wrote. And, and it's like the narrative version of that, Garrett, is people just want... like The only thing everyone has in common at work is they want to be successful. If you think about it, not nobody, we don't have anything else. Every single person doesn't, you know, doesn't have other things in common. It's what we want to be successful. Mm-hmm. In other words, people want to do great work. And they want to be totally psyched while doing it. And it turns out, again, I defend this pretty, pretty strongly in the book. It turns out that the manager is the person most likely to create or destroy the circumstances under which that can happen, where people can do their best work and be totally psyched while doing it.
0: Yeah, so interesting. And I think all of that resonates for sure. With me, so I totally get that. I, I want to dive in a little bit deeper to, you know, this leadership approach or this framework that you lay out in the book, which is really your "when they win, you win" approach, right? And you, specifically, I know as a as a you know, I haven't had a chance to read the book in full yet, but I know in kind of going through some of some of it and some of the notes from it that you have what you call the big three. That's part of that, right? It's uh, direction, coaching, and career. And so I want to break that down a little bit more and talk a little bit more about each of those pieces and how they can really work together to help managers improve. Yeah. Yeah.
1: The big three actually breaks down into about 12 distinct behaviors. Um, the big three is just a little bit easier way for folks to remember it. Um, 12 distinct behaviors. And and one of the things that we did was we asked employees in survey form four times a year if their managers were demonstrating these behaviors. And we actually could measure that. In fact, we call that manager effectiveness, right? Which is basically the frequency with which managers are exhibiting um, these 12 or so leadership behaviors. And so anyway, the big three is direction, coaching, career. Um, direction is so so actually i want to do a little if i may a little exercise with yeah. you to kind of top sure. down this so I, i've got you know i got this bottom-up research that tells us these 12 behaviors strongly correlate with engagement and strongly correlate with business outcomes there's a top-down version too here that that by the way i did both of these things independently the bottoms up and the top down they just happen to match up perfectly so um oftentimes when i do when i give the talk around, around my book, or I've done training, I'll ask people uh, to do an exercise. And the exercise is that I want them to write a job description that fits every manager in the world. Mm -hmm. So I don't care if you're the CEO of Google, or if you're the managing the uh, frontline sandwich shop people at Jersey Mike's, Mm -hmm. same job description and a massive constraint is you only have two bullets. Now, Garrett, I'm going to give you the option. You can do this exercise with me now, or you can just let me tell you what I've come up with, but your call, would you care to take a crack? looks like you do and want to take I'm, a crack.
0: I'm, I'm thinking about it. You, you got me intrigued. Um, man off the cuff. I, I mean, the first things that come to mind really are, um, like the first thing that came to mind for me is, you know, do you care about your people and do they know it? Um, and, Um, do you help them to be better? Right. So, I mean, those, those are some of the first things that come to mind, but I'm curious, tell me, tell me how, how far off am I?
1: Those are great. You're just, you're only using mildly different language than I use, um, to get some very similar ideas. Um, we, we probably don't, I mean, and I could, I could actually, I could actually let your listeners see you're, you're actually kind of a genius, but I don't think we'll have quite enough time to go into that (laughs) level of depth. Um, so here's what I came up with. I'm not saying this is right. I'm just saying I, I've had kind of five years to dial this in. You know, um, the job of every manager in the world is first deliver an aligned result and second to enable the success of the people on their teams. So you, you clearly were all over number two and, and you were actually kind of close on number one. Uh, I could defend that, but we're not going to have the time. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so when you think about it, first of all, deliver an aligned result, the word aligned is doing an enormous amount of work there. Even in small companies, like the ones that are that make up your audience, um, it's actually fairly common that um, you know subordinate organizations can find themselves doing things that are a little bit misaligned to what the company is trying to achieve. Um, Maybe maybe a little less or a little easier to rectify in a smaller company than in a much larger company, but it still happens all the time. So the word aligned is what matters the most there, Um, and then enable the success of the people in your team there's a couple of ways you could do it. So the the word success there has two flavors. There's short-term success, like how to be better at this job that you're doing, like tomorrow, the next day, the day after. But there's also this idea of long-term success, which is helping to enable people toward their dreams. That's that article that you mentioned earlier. You know, Part right. four of the book is all about career conversations. So anyway, if you take direction coaching career and you overlay it on that job description, direction um, is all about, defining the aligned results that we're all going to pursue. Uh, mm-hmm. Making certain everyone on your team, not kind of certain, absolutely certain, everybody on your team understands their portion of the aligned result you're supposed to go get and then enable the success of the people in their team Well, you coach them Toward short-term success, and you do career conversations to help enable them toward long-term success. And so the big three matches up perfectly with that two-bullet job description. And I promise you, we, we, those two work streams were done completely independently. They just happened to, to come together and dovetail very nicely. So direction, four-part framework, um, two long-term elements, two short-term elements. Coaching, if you think about it, um, performance is really results. And how do you get results? Well, there's certain way you behave and there's work products that you deliver. And so coaching is about giving people continue coaching so they can continue doing the things they're doing well in terms of their behaviors and their work products. And it's also improvement coaching, which is helping people to understand what they need to do better given their work mm-hmm. products and their, um, behaviors. And you should do five to one continue to improve by the way. Um, a lot of people don't know nobody does that. And a lot of people will find that surprising I explain in detail in the book why, and then career just comes from a model. Sheryl Sandberg said to me, she's Sheryl Sandberg. If your listeners don't know pretty iconic tech executive, she just mm-hmm. announced she's leaving uh, meta or Facebook. She wrote lean in, um, you know, and another book as well. And she said, you have to have a long-term vision and an 18 month plan. now." I don't care too much about the 18 month plan part, um, but short-term plan. And the idea is when you understand someone's dream job, that dramatically changes how you invest in them in the short run. And I don't know, have you ever seen a space movie by chance? Yeah. Uh Yeah. Do you know, do you know the slingshot maneuver that they do in every single space movie? Do you know what that is?
0: Where they're on the spaceship around like a planet. Is that what you mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the missions in jeopardy or the missions changed, right? Oh, Hey, we left the guy on Mars by accident. Remember yeah. that one? And so, and they were, um, and they, they need to like change the mission now. Cause they have to go, f- go get the guy off Mars. So they don't have enough fuel though. And yeah. so they have to use the planet's gravity to slingshot around the planet and launch themselves into the far reaches of the galaxy. So they can achieve their mission. You know, it's an it's in like every movie except I think space balls. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't think so, but it might be. I don't know. Anyway, I just I challenge some of your listeners to think as managers to think of their jobs as that slingshot. You know, you're not I don't launch people like physically um in the air. I just your job is to help launch them in the far reaches of their career. Right. Yeah. And so that's 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 the big three and, and probably a, a walnut shell. That's a big shell. Yeah. I, I just put them in a big shell, but um is that kind of what you were looking for?
0: I love it. I I mean, that just, you know, if that doesn't get you excited to go and read the book, I don't know what, what will, I think that's, that's awesome. I can definitely (laughs) see how that framework could be super, super impactful as a manager. So, you know, the, the kind of obvious question that I have, and I know you kind of alluded to this earlier is, you know, does it work? Does this approach work and how do you know that it works?
1: Yeah, that's, that's an incredibly good question. Uh, so first, um, I, I, I sort of I, I talk about in the book uh, that we should be very clear on what we mean by the word works. When we, yeah. if if someone's going to claim their leadership prescription works, what does that mean? What I think it means is, does it measurably and predictably lead to more engaged employees, or work happiness, and better business results? And there's there's a very strong. I think we're going to get to this maybe a little later. There's a very strong relationship between engagement and business results. Third party. Uh, research predicts it. If, if we come to that, I'll, I'll lay out a couple of those stats. And it turns out that, so, so engagement is actually very important. And then it turns out that the manager is responsible for engagement more than any other factor. And in fact, it's not even close uh, by, by, according to Gallup, you know, big employee experience, yeah. you know, the 800 pound gorilla, uh, one study in their 2013 state of global engagement, I got to talk to the guy who did the study, Larry Emond, and. Uh, you said that the manager explains 70% of engagement. What that means is in large data sets, when we observe a a positive variance from the average in engagement, and we trace that back in like statistical package, like statistically, it's the manager that explains 70% of that variance. Um, So better engagement usually means about 70% of that better engagement is explained by better manager. By the way, same with the downside poor engagement generally means poorer managers. Um and it's massive. It's that's 70%. That means everything else you're doing to try to affect employee engagement is worth less than half of what you're doing to make your managers great. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And so so you've got this set of relationships. The manager affects engagement, engagement uh predicts results. And so if you're going to offer a leadership prescription, what I think the new standard should be is that that prescription gets held to measurable account. The, the leadership is, it not some thing other than a set of behaviors that brings people ideally happily toward a set of outcomes. That's it. That's what it is in every, it doesn't matter if it's government, private business, religion, yeah. it's the same. And so, so what's my defense? Well, we discovered through my, my own first party research we discovered that when we, have, when we measure leadership behaviors, remember, we call that the manager effectiveness score. Mm-hmm. We found that plus or minus two points in manager effectiveness, those 12 behaviors are the big three, plus or minus two points is worth plus or minus one point in employee engagement. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I don't know, to some that may not sound like some big effect, but I will tell you, it's the first time I've ever seen an elasticity like that between a specific set of leadership behaviors and employee engagement. Mm-hmm. So let, that's plus or minus two plus minus plus or minus one for a minute. I want to make that, I want to make that 10 and five. So I'm just going to, I'm just, okay. just going to sort of ratio it up because the next part, um, so that's the relationship between leadership and engagement. Now the relationship between engagement and results. So, um, at Qualtrics, we found plus or minus five points of engagement mm-hmm. is worth, uh, or plus five in engagement is worth plus 30 in quota attainment. Wow plus five in engagement was worth plus five in contract renewal. And, and and that doesn't sound like a big effect, except Qualtrics has great products that renew at beyond world-class rates. So it's actually very hard to find any movement there. And so if you piece that together, Garrett, what we found is for every 10 points, so if you at scale, right, across mm-hmm. your organization, if you improve your manager effectiveness score by 10 points, mm-hmm. and that we had a model we used to do that, then uh, so we could affect our managers at scale you could on average expect employee engagement to increase by five points. And if you were doing that in your sales organization, you could expect on average to improve quota attainment by 30%, by 30 points. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's, it's nuts. And, it's and by the way, just, yeah, the third party research predicts both of those, but nobody ever really put them all together and, yeah. and came up with sort of a, a measurable. So that's, that's how I make the claim that it works. And, and, I'm, and by the way, I don't. I don't think anybody else. I don't. In fact, I know for a fact there's no other leadership prescription that holds itself to measurable account like that.
0: Yeah, I've never heard one either, and I love that. I think that that's you know what so many leaders have instinctively known for a while, but haven't been able to prove. So I love that there's you know tangible results that saying do these things help your improve your employee engagement and get these better business results. I think that's yeah. amazing.
1: And, and just before we press on the only other thing i'll say is it's simple like that model i just three er the big three leads to better engagement leads to better results direction coaching and career I, I acknowledge sound simple you know there's this phrase people use called simple but not easy so there's a lot of work to do to do those things well but i would just offer that um uh the simplicity here is a feature not a bug i i think that um a lot of people have tried to get into these very sophisticated ideas about leadership. And it's a very grandiose idea. My leadership style, it's it's not... That stuff's all potentially a big red herring. It doesn't need to be particularly fancy. Most of the answer is blocking and tackling behaviors around direction, coaching, and career that lead to happier employees and better business results. Yeah. Sorry, go on. Yeah.
0: No, that's awesome. I I just want to double click real quick on the employee engagement piece to make sure our listeners and and i really understand that piece. you know employee engagement is a term especially the last few years has been used a lot so i always like to like level set with our guests on the show help me understand what you mean when you say employee engagement
1: yeah great great question um so as a a relatively new practitioner and people i i even going back maybe four years ago, I didn't know what it was. Um, and by the way, once I learned what it was, which is which is it's a it's a measurement that comes out of the thirty year old field of IO psychology. So it's it's actually defined and so importantly, it's not what Garrett thinks it is. It's not what Russ thinks is. In real life, we know what engagement means. We we can we can describe in real life in our own words what is engagement. This is employee engagement. It's actually quite carefully defined. And the reason that's important more than any other reason is because it's measurable. And so employee engagement usually is about five to six questions. What's in the composite can vary a little bit. But the first question you might ask is about employee satisfaction. Overall, how satisfied are you with this as a place to work? Is what the question, you know, five point scale, top two is good, bottom two is bad. You might ask about employee net promoter score, which is um, how likely are you to recommend this as a place to work? Um, There's fulfillment. How fulfilled are you by the work that you do? There's pride. How proud are you? Um, to work at X employer. The other one might be discretionary effort. How likely are you to go above and beyond? And then, last one that's sometimes in there, sometimes not, is called intent to stay, which might sound like um, how much do you agree with the following statement? I am seriously considering leaving X employer. Anyway, you ask all those questions on each on a five point scale, top two if people choose the top two, that's called engaged and Mm -hmm. people choose the bottom two, that's called disengaged. And then the middle one, I guess, is just uh, no man's land. And so you, you, you measure that. And this is, this is the IO psychological measurement that strongly correlates with business results. And I I think it's, and I just got to say, you know, because I I think you've lost small businesses and, and I want to cop that I was unbelievably skeptical. You're going to tell me That's some magical, mystical measurement that I can barely understand from some field called IO psychology that I've never heard of. This this is the exact thought process about, about four or five years ago. You're going to tell me that measurement predicts business results. It sounds so soft and fluffy. And there's a lot of people who call it a soft measure, you know, and what I've learned over the last four or five years in really understanding this is it's not a soft measure at all. It's integral. It's not something off to the side. It's not something nice to have. It's not something you get to later when you start to build culture. That's all nonsense. It is, you, you can only get sustainable results, if your employees are engaged, um, you get some results sometimes when they're disengaged, but you won't get them for long. Those people will yeah. leave. Those people won't work as hard. Those people are not proud. You can only get sustainable results if you lead through engagement. So mm-hmm. I can, and if you'd like, I can talk a little bit more about the relationship between engagement and business results, but kind of your force, Man, force back could, to you, Garrett.
0: Russ, I could talk all day about this stuff. It's so interesting to me. So tell us, so yeah, tell us more, a little bit more about that relationship between engagement and then results.
1: Yeah. So I mentioned the first party stuff before, right? Plus five in engagement, plus five, plus 30 in quote attainment and plus five in engagement, plus five in contract renewal at a company that has beyond world-class contract renewal rates. Um, And so that five points was very difficult to find. The third party research is kind of cool too, though. So... Um, when I was with Kim Scott at Radical Candor, mm-hmm. I did some work for a, a major bank in Canada. You know, it's called the Royal Bank of Canada. Really wonderful people. About 80,000 person bank. Uh, I worked specifically for their 10,000 person um, sort of cutting edge digital banking business. Um, that probably sounds so enormous to so many of your listeners, but we, <laughs> we can still learn from these companies. Just, they yeah. just have the resources to sort out some of these things that would be tougher for a small company to sort out. They found that a highly engaged employee drove three times more revenue than a lesser engaged employee. Um, So, and they, they, you know, revenue, you can imagine how hard it is to find revenue growth for a hundred year old uh, bank. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Bain Bain and company, which is a big, like one of the big three consulting firms, you know, McKinsey, Bain, Boston consulting group, you know, some of the very smart people, they found that highly engaged employees um, grew revenue two and a half times more than lesser engaged employees. Yeah. Um, Gallup, back to Gallup, who I mentioned earlier, the 800 pound gorilla, they found that um, companies in the top quartile in employee engagement are 17% more productive, that's revenue per head, and 21% more profitable, that's operating margin, um, yeah. than, than those than the other 70, you know, the, the remaining 75%. And then they also found earlier that companies in the top quartile in employee engagement. These are publicly held companies. They have um, uh, 95%-ish better earnings per share hmm. than their competitive set. And then last, um, a tech company that I'm very familiar with, um, we did an EX value analysis with that company and discovered that 70% of their operating margin could be uniquely explained by its very strong and differentiated employee experience, very high employee engagement. So wow. you add that third party stuff, you take the stuff that we found at Qualtrics, the first party stuff, and it's it's pretty clear engagement and results have this super strong relationship. And 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 again, it's the manager more than any other factor that will change engagement for better or for worse.
0: and, and it's so compelling too, because there's, you know, there's very other, uh, I mean, there's few disciplines that I know of, maybe none, that have such a strong correlation to Business outcomes, and you know, you can get into the data and you can talk about it. And when you really just step back from it and you think about it, you know, like like how you explained it at the beginning, when you can help people to be more engaged, right? Have better managers, better leaders, help people be more engaged. It leads to better business outcomes. I mean, it's pretty simple and it seems pretty intuitive. But I love that you know, there's the so much wealth of data that's just overwhelming to. Really, back up that you no, know, this really works, and it works at all sizes of companies and all companies and all locations, and it's it's universal, right?
1: Yeah, where there's a manager, this will work,
0: mm, I which I
1: it. think is every single company. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's great. So I guess the, as we kind of wrap this conversation up again, Russ, I could talk all day about this stuff. It's, it's really great. But um, the last question I have for you is again, kind of bringing it back home to most of our audience for this podcast are small business owners. Or you know, solo HR people, what should their role be, in your opinion, to improving um, managers and helping have them to produce you know more effective, more engaged employees? I, I, I want to specifically dive into the the role of like an owner of a company because I think so often in small businesses they're faced with this challenge of. And it, there's just not enough bandwidth and they're still working in their business instead of like on their business and not improving their people. And a lot of times stuff like this is delegated to other people. And so I guess if you were to speak directly to some of those business owners, what would you recommend their role be in this versus like someone in HR?
1: Yeah, I, well... Um yeah I, I so first you know they obviously have to go get this right there's zero question right that's this has got the how to and, and everything but that is something that is maybe tangible right now um, so so I have on my website um, I mentioned earlier, you know www. dot win, com/tools. So earlier I mentioned the career conversations tool um, because you brought up the first round article. There's actually another little tool on there called I call it quick and dirty manager effectiveness, uh, and right next to that is quick and dirty employee engagement. So we just got done talking about that engaged employees drive better results. We just got done talking about how the managers most likely to affect engagement. Well, um, you can right now go to that, to my website and grab both of those tools they are free. I'm not charging for that. I made them in Google, uh, Google forms. They're, they're right there. And you could literally tomorrow, you could understand engagement at your company. It might take a little enablement. You're going to want to make sure your employees know that, um, you, you know, you're not, there's no version of retaliation or anything like that. Um, there's yeah. software products that do this really well, that take a lot of that sort of sampling bias out. Mm -hmm. Um, My tools don't do that. They're Google Forms. So you have to do a little enablement because you're going to need to make sure people know you really want to understand what they think. But you could very quickly understand how engaged your employees are, and you could quickly understand how effective your managers are, or if you're the only manager, how effective you are. And you know, it, in this case, if you're single-threaded, you're the only manager. It might be people might be a little bit afraid to be totally honest with you, but it's at least the starting point where you can start to measure your own manager effectiveness or the manager effectiveness of all your managers. And then you can, you know, and you should expect that if that manager effect, effectiveness is high, you should expect engagement to be high. Um, and if engagement is high, that usually means you're on a path to be able to deliver sustainable results for your business. So that's what I would do. I go just hit the website, grab those tools. They're, they're real lightweight, you know, they're not like as yeah. sophisticated as like Qualtrics or Glint or somebody would have, but yeah. they're, they're, um, but they're, they can get you moving in the right direction.
0: I love it. I definitely encourage everyone listening to go check that out. We will drop the links to those tools in the show notes. You can find them there. Um, Russ, again, thank you so much for joining and sharing some of your knowledge and some of this research you've done the last few years with us. We're super excited for the launch of this book and wish you the best.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. And, and I, I just, if I may shout out Stephen Fortuna. Uh Yeah one of the best cold outreaches I've ever got on LinkedIn. And I, I mean, I promise you, I'm most of them aren't very good, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and so I really, really appreciate it. It's great. I, you know, we're, we're near each other. And so it was a real, real treat to be able to, to be able to be on your podcast and hopefully help some of your, hopefully help some of your uh, community, HR Mavericks community, um, you know, make their businesses just a little bit better.
0: Well, you know, you've helped me become a little bit better manager today. So, I, I that's worth it for me. So I really appreciate it, Russ. You know, last question I have for you before we're done. If there if there are listeners who want to learn more about this, obviously, they should go get the book. Are there other ways that they, you would recommend that they reach out and connect with you or learn more about some of this work that you're doing?
1: Yeah. Maybe the website I've mentioned a few times, that's a good way we're, we're on, you know, I, I, I worked at Twitter, like I'm on Instagram. I'm not hard to find. I'm on Twitter. I'm verified on Twitter. I'm not hard to find each of those. I have an account, you know, at they, win you win as well for the book, I'm on Facebook. Uh, I'm reluctant. I'm, I was going to say I'm reluctantly on LinkedIn, but I probably shouldn't say I'm on LinkedIn. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm, I've been paying a lot more attention to that since I launched the book. So I'm really easy to find, honestly. Um, you know, like so. Um, but the website, the website has all of those, all of those handles uh, available, and we have contact form and all that stuff on there. if Everybody needs to get in touch.
0: Perfect. And we'll put the link to that as well, so everyone has it. So Russ, thank you again. Hope you have a great rest of the day.
1: All right. Thanks a lot, Garrett.
0: Today, enduring companies know that their people are their most important assets and they invest in helping them excel. But often, small businesses with limited HR resources struggle to manage their people, payroll, and processes efficiently and create an environment where frontline, deskless employees thrive. That's why we created EDI. EDI is the all-in-one HR suite built for local businesses that streamlines tedious HR processes and improves the employee experience for frontline workers. With Eddie, you can hire, manage, pay, and engage employees with one easy-to-use software. No headache required. You've already done the hard part by creating a great business. Now let us help you take it to the next level. Visit Eddie.com today to request a demo.